0: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. It's great to be in God's house every day, but it is especially a privilege to be a part of what we're doing here this evening as we celebrate the ordination of John Jordan and Dustin Durden. It's, uh, it's an honor to serve alongside these men and their families, and it's an honor to acknowledge the calling that God has placed upon their life and to know that we will be richly blessed as they seek to be obedient to God in this calling. And I also have a rare privilege tonight, Uh, not many pastors can say this, I am ordaining two men who used to be my bosses in the corporate world. Uh, And again, the ordination is a calling of God, but in its acknowledgement of a person in Dustin Durden, who was my boss at Pilon Telephone, and John Jordan, who was my boss at Matter High School, Uh, these are two men who invested in me, and it's my opportunity to return the favor and invest in them. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to take some time here in the next 10, 15 minutes as I walk through the Word to address you both and also address your families, your wives, and just say I love you both very much. I respect you, and uh, you set the bar pretty high in terms of being fantastic leaders and bosses, and so I want to return the favor as your pastor to, to show as much class and dignity as both of you have done in sh- sharing that with me. Um, something I always like to do, my wife says I'm a lister. I make lists. Uh, I don't know if it's because I'm a Baptist preacher or just because I'm weird. But one of the things that I typically like to do when I get to meet people and get to know them is I find words that, that match who they are to me. Uh, so I want to start with John. All right, What's a word that I would use to describe John Jordan? And I'm just going to say the first word that comes to my mind is leader. So I said this morning as I was talking about my calling as a pastor, there are some leaders who are born, there are some who are made, and there are some who are just flat out called. Uh, I, Brother John, I did not grow up in Swainsboro, Georgia. I didn't meet you till my late 20s. But I, I would be willing to bet that if I look back at your life, what I would see is a consistent pattern of leadership. You're hardwired for it. All right, There are some men who have to work hard at it. You work hard at it, but you also, I believe, have a, have a gift that's been with you a very long time. There's no way that you can do the things that you've done if God had not hardwired you to be a leader. And one of the things I know about you is you have a hunger to grow as a leader. And maybe that's one of the greatest assets that any leader can have is that you thirst to continue to grow in the capacity that God has called you to serve. And there hasn't been a time that I've been in John's office, uh, certainly his years as principal. Now he's making the transition uh, into into senior administration. But he's always talking about leadership, ways to, 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 to serve people and lead them in a greater way. And I can't think of a better quality as you enter into your calling as a deacon than to lead by serving. So we said a couple of weeks ago in our Sunday morning time as we've been walking through First Timothy that when we think of elders and deacons, sometimes as Baptists we combine the two as one, but we need to understand elders who are primarily pastors or those who are lay elders. Some churches have lay elders. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. And so the leadership that God has called you to is a servant leadership in the church, and I know that God has hardwired you for it because I can see it in your life and uh, you 've blessed me in many ways there's been you know how I know my relationship with him has changed. I call him something different in every room i 'm in. All right When I walk through the high school walls it 's you know, typically uh, Mr. Jordan, principal Jordan. Uh, when he comes in the door here it 's brother John. As far as I know, Kelly 's the only one that says Johnny, so he 's either. Yeah, that's he's the only one that I've ever heard call him Johnny. So he is Brother John to me now, unless I go visit him at the high school. And then, of course, he is Mr. Jordan again. Uh, but our relationship has been a joy. And uh, he was one of the first people to welcome me to Metter, Georgia, years ago when I was working at Pineland and we started broadcasting Metter Sports. He made all the uh, press boxes accessible to me to be able to do my job and encourage me. And, and just uh, what a great blessing it's been to work alongside you, brother. And I want to encourage you in that, that you're a great friend and I, you're going to be a great deacon. And the other is Dustin Durden. So uh, Dustin, if I chose the word leader for John, that's a word that certainly would fit you. But there's another word. uh, As I think about Dustin Durden and you have pictures of people in your mind, the one word I would think of for Dustin is balanced. Dustin, you're one of the most balanced people I know, and that's not easy considering what is on your plate. And you know how I know Dustin is balanced? I have seen him at his highest highs, and I have seen him at his lowest lows. When he came into my life several years ago, I witnessed multiple uh, deaths in your family, immediate family members that you were not prepared for emotionally, that no one is, right? None of us are. But I saw you handle each one of those with grace. I saw you encourage other people when they came to encourage you. And I also saw you at some of your spiritual highs. I saw you making the transition as Richard Price was getting ready to step down as CEO at Pineland. I, I watched God put his hand on you And others like Eddie Jones that were influential in that as you continue to climb the ladder at Pineland. We could all see it from 10 miles away that God had his hand on you the whole time. But you were balanced. You were very balanced. And I can tell uh, the way that Sherry talks about you, the way that she leans on you, the way your children, when they come up to you on Wednesdays and just hang all over you, uh, they lean on you because you're balanced and you can be a rock that people lean on. Our church needs that. We need deacons like that. We need men that walk in the eye of the storm and and, and minister to people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm honored that you are one that God has called in this role to serve. And I would be remiss before I open up the word as I address John and Dustin. I also want to address the wives because as we look at 1 Timothy 3, we see that the calling of the deacon is is not valid until the calling of the deacon's wife is also equally valid lining up with the Word of God, because it is a ministry that God is calling both of you to. And I have great joy in my heart as I, as I think about Kelly and I think about Sherry, that these are two women that meet the qualifications of a deacon's wife, who meet the qualifications of the deacon ministry. Uh, two women who've meant a lot to me and my family over the years. Um, and if I guess maybe I'm going to give you guys words that I'm going to give it to you both together. I think that both of you represent sacrificial love. And you know how I know that? Because your husbands have extremely difficult positions in this community. They walk around every single day with a target on their back. And when you have a man of God standing up getting attacked the way they do every week, there's a woman somewhere that's holding him up in prayer. There is a woman that understands how crazy it is, how many late nights he has to spend in the office. And and for those of you, by the way, both that have extremely challenging jobs yourself and coming home to raise families but supporting your husbands in their role because, let's face it, they are two very prominent men in this community. God preordained that John Jordan and Dustin Durden would be men of influence in Candler County. They carry very heavy weight in this community, but they don't take it lightly. And they're succeeding, I believe, in in many respects because they have wives who are amazing, who pray for them, encourage them, understand that they can't always be home at a certain time. And when they're not home, they're doing the best they can to serve and serve well. So I, I want to say thank you to Sherry, and I want to say thank you to Kelly. You guys have meant a lot to me. You've both meant a lot to my wife. Ashley is home with the baby right now, but she, she would say the same thing, that she needs other godly women to come alongside and encourage her because of the weight that is on me. And both of you have. You know, I think about when my baby was born, the first person God put in our path was Sherry. Praise the Lord for that. Who knows what would have happened with the panic we had in our hearts of never having a child before, of you being the first person to calm us down and say, you're going to make it. And then I think of Kelly and and how long her and, and Ashley have been great friends and bringing these Philadelphia Eagles outfits to my house to put on rent. I thought, we're starting this thing off the right way. You guys have meant a lot to me. As I look at the most important aspects of my life and the transitions I've gone through in this community, you've both been a part of that. I'm so grateful. So, I hope to encourage you with a word. And this word is, although primarily for them, it affects all of us here in this room, because the word I'm going to address here today, as you can see, the, the title of our message is A Deacon Who Aims to Please, and the passage we're coming from is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-10. through 10. And so, even though I will be specifically addressing John and Dustin, this applies to all of us. If we're going to live a life that aims to please God, we need to understand our calling, and we need to understand a future judgment that believers somehow never seem to talk about, the amazing and wonderful judgment seat of Christ that awaits those who believe in the Lord Jesus. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. If you don't have one, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1147 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word, we're going to be again reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 6 through 10. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let us pray. Father, again, as we continue in this ordination service and we we go to your word, Father, I desperately want to encourage these men and charge them uh, directly from your inspired word about who they are and what they're called to do as deacons. And so, Father, in the next few moments, help us to all, especially even those who are not deacons in this room, consider what it is that we will face the judgment seat of Christ. And our aim needs to be to please you and you primarily in our lives because we will face judgment for our works, not for salvation, but for rewards that we can enjoy forever if we would just be faithful to you. So, Father, be with us now as we consider the truth of this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 and just continue to bless the hearts of John and Dustin. Let this be a night that would just honor and glorify you, but also bless them as they understand this is a calling you've placed on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I think that. Aiming to please ought to be something that every person in position of leadership or influence ought to have, but we also need to be mindful of where the aim of our pleasing should be. And first and foremost, I think we understand that we must first please God. And one of the things Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians as he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he's talking about the fact that when you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity for you starts now, okay? Okay. When you are born again and you receive the Spirit of God, you walk into a new reality. And a lot of times when we think about heaven, we think about, well, I'll do, you know, I'm living here now, I will live there then, eternity starts then. No, eternity starts right now. All right, it, it, when you're born again, it's not just that you got saved and you're no longer going to the bad place and you're just getting ready to go to the good place. Okay, that may be true, but it's incomplete. When you're saved, you enter into a new reality. You enter into a new possibility. Your your entire nature is being changed. And then Paul talks about, you know, it's good to be here. It's good to be on earth. It's good to have physical human bodies and to do the work that God has called us to do. But it will be even better when we stand in the unfiltered presence of God. And one day when Jesus Christ comes back here, we'll dwell here eternally in the new heavens and new earth, and I say this all the time, we'll have glorified new bodies, new resurrected bodies, and you're going to need a resurrected set of eyeballs just to look at each other because you'll be so glorious. And I can't wait for that day. So Paul says, keep all this in perspective, and here's what he tells the church in Corinth. Be of good courage and know that while we're at home in the body, meaning here on earth, we're away from the Lord, which is... The heavenly realms when our spirit separates from our body and we go to be the presence of God. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yes, we'd rather be with God because that's the goal. But then he says in verse 9, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Him meaning the Lord. Whether we're here in the body and we live 90 years, or God calls us home before we even get back to our physical homes and we die in a car accident, we make it our aim to please Him. We please Him in the things that we say, we please please Him in the things that we think, we please Him in the things that we do. It's our aim and our call to please God. And why do we do that? Well, first of all, He's worthy of it. But second of all, we need to remind ourselves we're going to be judged. All right, and this is something that churches need to resurrect the the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ. Because here's the deal judgment can put fear in your heart, and it should. And we see in the book of Revelation the calling of this judgment. We hear about the great white throne. Well, the great white throne is a judgment of salvation that non believers will face, and it should put fear in our hearts. But if we're born again, The Bible says, there is thou therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so we no longer have to worry about a judgment of salvation. That's not for us. That's already been decided on the cross. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. He earned the righteousness that we needed through his perfect life. And then when he rose from the dead, he made a way from death to life, that whoever would place their faith in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That means we do not have to worry about a judgment of salvation, but believers never talk about this. We are going to face a judgment of works, not for salvation, but for rewards. Now, what are those rewards going to be? I don't know, and you don't either. I've read a lot of good books on them. i got a lot of great ideas of what they could be. There's a whole lot of talks about crowns and laying aside those crowns and picking those crowns back up. I do think in the new heavens and new earth, Okay, the new Jerusalem, there will be cities that will be ruled by those who have been faithful to God down here right now. But we don't know, but here's what we do know. We're going to stand before God and give an account of everything that we've said, everything that we've thought, and everything that we've done. And we live our lives sometimes as if we're not. And so a calling to primarily John and Dustin, but to all of you who seek to support them in this calling is we will be judged. We will face the judgment seat of Christ, and that's exactly what it says here in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I feel the weight of that as a pastor, a father, and a husband. I feel the weight that I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for the level of influence that God has entrusted to my care. It wears on me in a good way, and it should wear on you. And let let me say this as well. I'm sure it is already weared on these two men because they already have great positions of influence. And let me say this. We need to get past the mindset that ministry is just something we do in the church walls and everything else is secular outside of church. John Jordan already has a ministry. Dustin Durden already has a ministry. God sees everything they do in the school or in the workplace as holy if they're born again. And so they're ministering to children. Okay? They're ministering to people by blessing them with good products that they can use, services. I mean, think think about this in a biblical perspective. When Dustin Durden makes high-speed inter, high Internet access possible, he gives people access to see the gospel that otherwise wouldn't have that privilege. When John Jordan provides education for children at Metter High School and now through the entire school system, okay, working in the superintendent's office. Now the opportunity that he has to do that, he's equipping and training kids to use their minds, to, to, to use the, the, the mental capacities that God has given them to grow and be all that God has called for them to be. They have a ministry already. This is just a, a calling as a representative of Jesus Christ and a member here at Cedar Street Baptist Church to continue to serve in a wonderful and new capacity in addition to what they're already doing. And I want to say that for all of you. Let's get past sacred versus secular. If you're a Christian, anything you do that edifies, it's a ministry, and you need to see it that way when you go to, go to work tomorrow. But before we close, as I'm encouraging these two men, I just, just have three quick points. You know I'm going to slide three points in a poem past you. I'm a, I'm a Baptist preacher here. They're going to be short ones, and it applies to all of us, but I want to address these two men specifically. All right, so we're talking about aiming to please God. Let's get as as realistic as we can. Number one, I want to say aim to please God in your personal devotion. Before you're a father, before you're a husband, before you're a CEO or an assistant superintendent, you're a child of God, and you cannot do any other activity that God has entrusted to you if you first are not spending time with the Lord. Now, a lot of times when pastors preach this, a bunch of uh, guilt sets in on all of us. Well, let me just tell you this. I wear the same guilt that you do. If you asked me and said, Bo, as a pastor, what, is, what has been either your biggest shortcoming or regret so far in your t- two years as pastor? What could you do better? I, without even blinking, I can tell you the answer. Prayer. There is I have not yet met a pastor that said, "You know, I've been praying too much. I probably need to shorten up on the prayers and do some other things." All right? All of us struggle with prayer. Paul in the New Testament over and over says, "Labor with me in prayer." You know why? Cuz prayer's hard. There's nothing else that we do in the in this world that actually looks and feels and sounds like prayer. I mean, there's no other people that we communicate with where we spend time in a room with the door closed and our eyes closed, sometimes on our face, crying out, not hearing an audible voice in return most times. This this is the prayer life that God has called us to, that we wrestle with God. and We ask Him to help us and we confess our sins. We we keep short accounts and we, we see what it is that He's doing in our lives and we acknowledge when our heart is not right and we ask for strength to do all that God has called us to do. This is a calling on all of us, but as we continue to stand and serve God in prominent roles of ministry, the, the need to be alone with God is maybe more important than it's ever been before. So aim to please God in your personal devotion. Make time to pray. Seek Him in the Word. Again, there is no perfect way to do this. Okay? A lot of us call it quiet time, and we get together at certain times of the morning or afternoon or evening, and we read a few passages of Scripture and pray a few words before we go about our day. We, we all do it differently. Some of you are night owls and the best time you spend with God is when everybody else is sleeping and nobody's going to bother you or text you for three hours. For some of you, it's first thing in the morning. For others, it's that half an hour in your car at lunch. It's the only time you can get away from everyone and pray. Whatever the case may be, have a plan. Be willing for the plan to change, but have a plan and be faithful to the Lord as you pray to Him and you read the Word. Have a plan and meet with God you have an appointment book, and I know most, both of you do, there's no way you could, uh, you could serve the Lord without an appointment book of some kind, whether it's digital or paper. Put your appointment with God in your, uh, in your appointment book, and don't break it. Put it in the book. Make, make, make it in your mind as if it is more important than meeting with another assistant or another superintendent or another CEO or another company or employee that you need to speak with. Put it down, the time that you're going to spend with God, and spend it with him. Aim to please Him in your personal devotion. That's number one. Number two, aim to please God in your family devotion. Family is the single most important ministry you have. I say this to myself as I say it to you. All right? The, the church can get other deacons. Okay? Pineland can get another CEO. All right? Uh, the metro School System can get another super, an assistant superintendent. But you are the only father your children will ever have. And you should be the only spouse that your spouse ever has. Your family is the number one ministry in your lives. Your wife is more important than this church. Your children are more important than this church. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, I love you, and your ch- this church better be important to you. But they should be number, number three on that list after God and your family. You know, in the Bible, if we look at the book of Genesis, we see that family was instituted before, well before the church was. Family is the first institution. I say that to everyone I do premarital counseling with. God thought that it was not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve out of the rib of Adam, and he called them together, and the two will become one flesh. And together they'll have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, this beautiful portrait that God has of marriage and family. It's the institution that God created to, to, to procreate and to have children all over the four corners of the earth that would worship him the kingdom of God. So it is the most important ministry there is. Spend time with your spouses. Pray for them. You know, and someone said this to me, and I'm going to say it to both of you. Be the lead repenter in your family and in your marriage. Let them hear I am sorry more often than you hear it. And tell them exactly why you're sorry specifically and be willing to turn away from that. I suppose there are times as a man we struggle with this. I know I do. In issues of pride, I'll think, well, maybe the last three times we had an argument, I'm the one that went and said I was sorry and apologized and talked about this. You know, I'll <laughs> look at the scorecard. It's a little unbalanced here. Let's get some from the other side. God does not see it that way. If we're the spiritual leaders, we've got to be the lead repenters. And trust me, I'm never at a loss to figure out things that I need to say I'm sorry for. And so I would encourage both of you, if you're going to be uh, focused in your devotion to your wives and your families, and I would imagine that you already are, Continue to be the lead repenter in your family. To be devoted to them. They will know. They will know when your heart belongs to them on the nights that you have to be here or in the office. They will know that your heart still belongs to them because it's with them everywhere they go. So we aim to please God in personal devotion. We aim to please God in family devotion. Third and finally, as we're ordaining you into the office of deacon, aim to please God in your ministry devotion. Aim to please God in your ministry devotion. When you're called to be a deacon, understanding, and and trust me when I say this, we as Cedar Street Baptist Church, and specifically our active deacon body, understands uh, there are limitations to how you're going to be able to serve now versus in the future, right? So there are certain men in our church who are vocationally retired, and they've been able to dedicate time and energy into this church in a whole new way. In fact, sometimes I got to be careful because I don't want to burn them out, because when you have an Eddie Jones or a Kenny Davis or a Ronald Cardell or a Larry Sykes, you know, these are men who are, have been fantastic and very professionally successful and, and still have a lot of energy and vigor to serve the Lord, and so, you know, you look at them and you don't want to burn them out. We understand that you have very, very challenging professions, and you've got young children. You've got a lot happening, but be devoted to God in every aspect that you can while you're serving in this office. We're realistic. We want you to be too, but Be faithful. Uh, if you're a deacon and you physically cannot be there to minister in the hospital, stop and pray when you know someone's there. Or make a phone call when you feel like you can. Stay current with me and Brother Ronnie as the chair and let us know how it is that we can minister to you and your families and, and check in with us and let us know how we can best utilize your gifts and talents through the deacon body as well. Obviously, Sunday, uh, the, the Sunday mornings each month that we meet together are precious times in those deacon meetings. I'm so grateful for Brother Ronnie's leadership and the vision that he has casted for this deacon body. And the times that we can take uh, communion to the shut-ins. I, I, I still can't get this out of my head that the last time we did communion, Brother Ronnie Sykes brought communion to um, Jimmy Coulson hours before he took his final breath. None of us knew he was going to pass away. But he was having communion with the brothers of Cedar Street Baptist Church. And we were reminding him that though he physically could not be here, he's a part of this church. What a sweet ministry that is, the ministry of a deacon. Another way of saying that a deacon is all guts and no glory. It really is. It is a servant ministry. It's a ministry of serving tables. It does not come with the spiritual authority of an elder. It comes with the spiritual responsibility of being a servant. And it's a wonderful ministry. And God called me to be a deacon before he called me to be a pastor. And I'll tell you, I would not be a pastor if I did not know that calling of a deacon. I'm so grateful for it. And so, again, as we get ready here in just a few moments to enter into... Uh, a time of ordination where ordained men will come and and pray a blessing, and then we'll ask the deacons to lay hands, and we'll we'll pray over these two men and their families. I just want to encourage you men and, and encourage everyone listening once again. People are going to be vying for your time. They're going to be telling you what they think it is you should be doing. You know this, okay? In your roles, you know this. As a deacon, the Bible lays it out very clearly that you're called to serve and assist the elders to spiritually lead. Right now, and this may change in the future, but as of now, God has called me to be the elder of Cedar Street Baptist Church as your pastor. So God has called me to spiritually lead us and for you to come alongside and assist me. And so I know, being the men that you are and the leaders that you are, that you will serve me the way that I serve both of you. And I'm excited that we can serve each other. But make it your aim to please God first. Please Him in your personal devotional time. Please Him in your family devotional time. And please him in in your ministry devotional time as a deacon here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. And to the families that surround the two of you, pray for them. Satan is fully aware that two prominent men in this community have been called to a prominent ministry role. And he would love nothing more than to disqualify them for ministry. He will will do it. He's already planned how he's going to try. But he cannot penetrate the prayers of his family. Of, of the family of these two men. Satan cannot penetrate those prayers, okay? The prayers of the people lifting up the people of God are, the, are what God uses to build his church. We need to pray and saturate these two men in prayer. As they get ready to serve, they're going to be attacked. I pray that God would put a hedge of protection around both of them and they'd stay faithful to keep their eyes on Jesus Christ, remembering the judgment seat, that we will be held accountable for everything we've said, thought, and done. And as Paul says, and I'll close with this, each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to have these two men come forward. And if, you, if there's any men in this church, doesn't have to be members of Cedar Street Baptist Church, if you're visiting and you have been ordained to the ministry either as a deacon or an elder, I want to encourage you to come and participate in this ceremony. In fact, at this time, as we get ready to pray, I'm going to ask John and Dustin to come forward. And if you would be seated in these two chairs, you can go ahead and come forward. I will pray, and then uh, we'll just start the line over here. Typically, we'll start right here and wrap it around the pews, and uh, I, want you to, I want you to come forward and continue to pray for these men, pray for their ministry, and we'll just go, as we go through, the last person prays, then I'm going to call the deacons to come forward. We'll lay hands, and we'll ask at that time for the wives to come forward, lay hands on them as well, and then close with a song and a benediction. So as we get ready for this beautiful service, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. And again, we thank you for John. We thank you for Dustin. We thank you for this calling that you've placed upon their lives. We thank you for their heart to serve you and the leadership qualities that you have given them, Father. And as they enter into this new dimension of ministry, Father, I just pray uh, that you would bless them. In the next few moments, as the ordained men of your church, both here at Cedar Street and every church in this community that is represented in this room as they come and pray blessings. Father, I pray that you'd open up the hearts and minds of John and Dustin to receive it and to enjoy it and to celebrate the love that is in this room and the concern for both of them that they serve well. Let each prayer be a blessing with them that they take with them wherever they go. Be with them and bless them and let this service as it continues to be a pleasing aroma for you, Father, for your kingdoms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.